All right, everybody, welcome to the MXU video podcast. This is episode number 11, and I'm here with uh, my friends Rusty and Zach, and we're excited about diving into our next topic with you. Um, how are y'all doing, fellas? Good. Doing great. Great. Um, always, uh, you know, this whole podcast thing is like, I- I'm learning. I think you guys are learning. And so I, I um, want to always make sure that we're reminding our listeners like what we're here for, because there's a lot of times where we're, we just kind of like go off the cuff and we don't ever have a real plan when we do these intros. Um, so just rem- just a reminder, like the MXU video podcast is all about us getting better together um, when it comes to live video. So that's like switchers, video routers, cameras, video directing, uh, how to lead our volunteers. And the way we do that and the way like what we're wanting to experience and getting ourselves better and hopefully you as a listener will be better as well is that we invite people who are part of our church production industry, people who are outside of the church production industry and doing live uh, video stuff and audio and lighting stuff from time to time. Like they're doing that as well, but not necessarily in the church context. And so we invite people in, we have conversations and we learn and grow together. So I think that's kind of sums it all up. That's a great description, Jeremy. I learned, okay. I learned a little bit there. That was good. Okay. Give me some ideas on some future topics. Okay, great. But I just was listening back to some of our podcast episodes and I'm like, we, we just need to reiterate, like, this is what we do. And it's actually really fun. And I've enjoyed it. Um, it's episode 11. Um, and it, while we're at it, uh, what's been your favorite episode so far? I would be intrigued to know. Mm, that's a tough one. We've done a lot, man. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. For I don't know. I mean... For anybody that's new that hasn't, if you're just joining us, be, you should go back and look at the description of the previous episodes because there's we've covered a lot of topics. I mean, I've learned yeah. the most with uh, like on the calm one. Basically, anything that Jeremy Lamori was on, I learned the most. So, <laughs> calm yeah. or twenty one ten. Calm is where my mind. mind went to because he did such a good job at describing all the different types of it. You know, I think it's yeah. super helpful for everybody. And then the twenty one ten just kind of let everybody nerd out and learn about the future. Yeah. The one with the this I think I don't know it's episode two maybe with Tony the steady cam one was fun just to get a behind the scenes look of yeah. what's it like to do something on a big production like the Olympics. Yep, um, I enjoyed frame rates because I feel like frame rates has always been a mystery to me, and I've never fully understood them other than I know that they have to be right, um, and there's certain things to get right. But I enjoyed the frame rates conversation. So yeah, it's yeah. it's all been really great. Um, I will say the 2110 conversation, which actually leads into our conversation that we're going to have today as well. So today is kind of like a follow-up conversation to the um, episode 10, which is all about uh, 2110 and IP video. So this is kind of like a continuation of that. Um, What I would like to say in like looking back at it, 2110 sounds like a really cool idea. And I don't know, I mean, for me, whenever you find like a new topic and you're like, oh my gosh, this is like awesome and you have somebody like explain it in a way that you understand it and you suddenly like oh i get it i think it's our tendency to become almost obsessed with it and um want to like do it and i think 2110 has the potential to be that for a lot of people but 2110 while it sounds awesome and cool is really really complex and so i want to make sure that our audience understands like just because we're talking about it now doesn't mean it's something that you need to do at your church or your context, even though it has that, like the, this appeal, it's kind of like the, it's, it's very sexy to talk about. That's what I'm trying to say. Like it's very sexy and it's very cool and it's very edgy and cutting edge and all that stuff. But, um, it's not appropriate for every circumstance. But I think it's a great thing for people to learn. Yeah. And I think that's what you're trying to say is like, it's cool yeah. to learn and research it and yeah. figure it out, but you don't necessarily have to plan to dive into it. Yeah. And it may not be appropriate for, I think the new future, which you'll hear from our guest today. And also Jeremy uh, in last episode is like our, our future for the next 15 to 20 years is a hybrid approach to all these things. It's not just the new thing. So yeah. Um, for yeah. Sure. Enjoy it, learn it and all that kind of stuff. But, Anyway, that was my little thing, uh, thinking back on the 2110 and uh, IP video um, conversation. Uh, Rusty, you are uh, in a hotel room right now. Where are you at in the world? 
I'm in Santa Barbara, California. Sunny Southern California. Ooh. It's nice out here. Right? Hey, the home home of the prices, right? That's what I remember. I grew up That's from Santa 11 a.m. Yeah, I, I feel like maybe I, I feel like the studio was in Santa Barbara. I think there I I could I gotta be look wrong. that up now. I'll have to look it up as well. But I feel like the credits said Sounds like you watched a lot of prices, right? Then we all I mean any time any of us that were like babysat by our grandmothers. We all Correct. watched the prices, right? You are absolutely right about that. <laughs> I mean, every summer, daytime TV, 11 a.m., because yep. yep. because noon was the... I um, knew how much tide detergent cost. That is for sure. <laughs> yes. As a kid. <laughs> and I wanted my family to win a trip to, you know, California or Hawaii or whatever. Anyway, so... Yeah, anyway, I'm out here with uh, working on a show. It's, um, it's actually a, a cool... A fundraising event for a Bible translating organization. Um, oh, so that's cool. We loaded in yesterday, uh, waited about three and a half hours for the truck that was late, and then stood outside in the rain while I watched a uh, a new truck driver try to back into this precarious spot for about an hour and a half. So, oh no, that was fun. Um, but anyway, lo- loading went kind of late last night, so we got a little bit a little bit more to do today before we go live tonight. And you're video directing for this show? I am, yep. Um, uh, get, just get ready. Hold hold on to your seats. I have uh, two cameras. Oh, oh wow. Man, yeah. I might could even I do that. that. <laughs> and I have a Ross, uh, it's a Ross Ultra. It's the biggest, it's a, I mean, way overkill, but yeah. I'm going to see what all, what kind of fun tricks I can do. I am too. Zach, have you, you done anything cool recently? Uh, yeah, actually, yesterday. Um, Got back from Spanish River Church down in uh, Florida. We went down there to hang out with those guys, um, Gomi and Eric. Uh, Gomi, they you should follow Gomi on Instagram. Uh, I think it, it's they call me Gomi, and uh, one of the purest hearts for loving on people in the church. He's a technical the technical director down there, and uh, man, we just really dove into some hard, deep conversations about you know just what all, what the church is about, and he. Man, that dude loves on some people. One of the things he was telling me was just how, like, once one day out of the week, he goes and grabs uh, some students from the school that's on campus there and just starts teaching them tech stuff and pouring back into them. And it's just cool. It was refreshing to, uh, you know, when you go down there to talk about gear and what they're wanting to do with their spaces and you end up spending more time talking about just loving on people. It was really cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the highlight, actually for me right now, it's just, man, there's some good people out there that, uh, have a bigger passion than just touching gear. And, uh, it's awesome to see that. Love that. Great. Love it. Where are they in Florida? Do they get affected by the storm at all? No, uh, they're in Boca Raton. Okay. Well, I know that Rusty has to get to lobby call here in a second, so we should probably get going on our interview. Um, Zach, this is the interview you lined up. And so I would love for you to tell us, who who we got, who we're listening to, and um, then we'll uh, press play and, and rock and roll. Yeah, we've got uh, Ricky Cook coming on here with us today. Uh, Ricky was on the main podcast long time ago and uh, just kind of connect. I connected with him over the past few years and just kind of would reach out to him and learn some things from him. And um, he is uh, a part of Fox over in Australia. Uh, he's an engineer over there and he'll give us our full, his full description of what all he does, which is a lot, but, uh, yeah, it's a great interview. We dive into more 2110 and networking stuff and, uh, it's, it's a good one. So let's kick it off. Yeah, let's do it. What's up everybody. We're back at it again. We've got an awesome guest lined up for today. I am super excited about this. We've got Ricky Cook on with us. Um, he has got a pretty good extensive background yes. in broadcast video. And uh, if you've been around for a while in the MXU podcast, he is going to be not a repeat guest on the video podcast, but if we just put the global MXU hat on, he will be a repeat guest for us. So, uh, yeah, Ricky, go ahead and tell everybody, give us an introduction. Uh, should I, uh, should I put my best Aussie accent on? Should I say, g'day? Well, I do always wonder, cause you all, when you text me, you're always respond with mate. And I don't know as in a white boy from America, can I say mate back? Absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, yep. Anyway, g'day mates. Uh, 
So, uh, yep, as you said, my name is Ricky Cook. Um, formerly worked for, uh, you know, Global Mega Church here, based here in Australia, but uh, since sort of moved on and now work at, uh, well, you had Jeremy on uh, on one of the on one of the shows, and he works for Fox Networks in the US. I basically work for the Australian equivalent, um, so we're called Foxtel um, because it's effectively a partnership between Fox Networks and our kind of national carrier Telstra, so hence Foxtel. Mm. So yeah, anyway, we're the sort of the largest uh, pay TV provider in Australia, and we've also got a bunch of streaming apps for sports and you know normal TV and movies and stuff. So yeah, it's um it's been a massive couple of years um, working there with a huge migration towards IP, and uh, yeah, that's really what I've been focusing on. Oh, I was going to say, I you know to be honest, you you say you work for this big giant broadcaster but what do you actually do like what's your what's the thing that you do for them oh okay yeah good question um so i guess my my job title is um is broadcast technology architect which means at the end of the day oh, I, that sounds real yeah fancy. it's uh i mean the title's a bit more fancier than oh no i mean yeah it is and isn't but I'm gonna need, I I'm gonna need to work on my title. <laughs> yes. So, well, I mean, the whole point is is that that it would be my job. Uh, you know, in an architecture role, you kind of your job is to think about what the business needs and and how it should. You know, what systems needs. Like, so, you know, when you're looking, like, you, you know, Zach, you work for us, uh, system integrators, right? You you go to the the customer and you basically sit down and you work out what it is they need and then you go away and design them a system mm-hmm. right yeah so that's kind of what my job is but internally so working for the customer so i and and any other sort of niche um cases for the business for example like i'm working on um a satellite delivery platform at the moment um for all of our satellite customers and things like that you kind of you just got to be one step ahead um and be thinking about what it is is that we actually need. So, you know, because a big thing for our satellite guys is they were doing this massive baseband to IP migration um, where they've had the same technology for like the last 20, 25 years. That's all ran on ASI and SDI. Um, but moving it to IP, it's a whole, that's a whole foreign world for them. So um, part of my job was to basically be thinking about what they need to know or what they what needs to happen in order for their, t- you know, their technology stack to be put on top of an IP-based fabric, and uh, and sort of be one step ahead of them. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's still enough. Yeah. Like, you know, we still do a lot of engineering, so it's not all just sort of, you know, um, uh, drawing on a whiteboard and mm-hmm. things like that. So yeah. So talk to us like, like even myself, like I could just immediately go off down this rabbit trail, but like. What does it actually look like when you say migrate from baseband to IP? Like that can't just be an overnight thing. Like no. I can't even imagine how long it was in the planning stages before you ever even got the first piece of technology that was IP based. Yeah, it's been it's been in the works for about two years now, and uh, it's still not on air. It'll be on air by next month. So we're well, I'm not sure when this podcast is coming up, but basically by November middle of november is when we'll actually be on air but that's um that's actually delivering uh delivering the signals to our to our carrier partner um so they can effectively uh beam them up via satellite from the ground stations um up to the satellites and that are all you know that are geostationary or or they're not really orbiting the earth because they're geostationary but they're in the they're up there in space anyway um but yeah, the the migration side, because um, that word gets used a lot, and um, especially you'll hear uh, a lot of vendors talk about you know your migration strategy to IP. Or um, I noticed a lot of vendors are now sort of doing like you know webinars and seminars and things like that about you know the migration path to IP. But it's really um, it's it, it's all it is is a transition. You just need to work out what that transition looks like for you. It's going to be different from everybody. Um, but what it looked like for us was effectively just starting from scratch. Like we had just had to start from literal scratch. So, um, you know, 
even rebuilding like the Grass Valley playout servers. So they 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 talk well the, the those things talk 2022-6 out. Um so except for the the 4K ones, they're doing 2110. But it's almost you build this thing in parallel and then you just switch over when you're ready. Zach, help me understand how did how did we get to here having Ricky here talking about uh yet again this level of technology that so many people are like intrigued by yeah. but overwhelmed by at the same time yeah. so how do we how do we get here i mean i've been ricky and i have texted off and on a lot even we've uh, it's very funny i have only actually ever met ricky in person one time i don't even know if you know this ricky. oh yeah i remember do you know where i'm going yeah <laughs> we it was at passion That's 2019 right. yep he bl- he blew my mind and he made me that day want to be a better engineer because for the, whatever reason we had the, br- I don't even remember what actually the reason was, but in the broadcast mix, we had click coming yep. through and he could, and they couldn't find it. And I feel like it was associated with the bass guitar or something, but Ricky ended up taking the click, patching it, flipping the phase on it, putting it in the master bus and putting the fader at unity and it canceled itself yeah. out and pulled the click out. Yeah. Well, it was, so that, it was, it was gone enough that you couldn't hear it anymore. Yes. So, yeah. It went from very much there to very, very, yeah, it was actually a fault with uh, the, it was a digital fault. Um, so couldn't I feel like y'all rebooted the console and after yeah, that it was fine. It was fine. Yeah. Couldn't reproduce it if we tried, but it was, it was present on an input somewhere. We could not find it. It was not even, well, okay. So the funny thing was, it wasn't even routed anywhere. So, but we yeah. just, we just route like, we're just like, we'll just bring it into an input, flip the polarity and hope for the best. And yeah, that's amazing. But yeah, ever since then, um, we just kind of messaged back and forth. And if I had a question, uh, he actually saved us a couple years ago for youth X. I think I was, have, I was chasing my ass with the OptiCore loop, uh, because we added some desk and some SD racks and, uh, with the time difference by the time he finally was able to respond to me uh we had gotten it resolved and it was the uh the connections the fiber connections between the desk were dirty and so i took an alcohol swab and cleaned all the connections and uh when he texted me back he was like you should clean all the connections they're probably dirty and i was like that's what we did and that worked but yeah it's just been cool because uh with him going over me being a nerd seeing whatever he would post at the time we just started asking questions so i knew he was big into ip video i'm still learning it and by learning it i mean i am very green and i know the little bit of things i know from lamori and watching ricky so that's that's kind of how we got here and and it's my instagram post last week of asking people uh what they want to see i had several responses of most people intrigued uh by the IP video stuff and, and admitting that they would probably never use it, but just how intriguing it was. Yeah. I think for me, uh, like I want to know more about like network architecture and infrastructure. I don't know if we're going to actually talk about that, Ricky, but like, that's the question I don't think we actually talked about with, when we talked to Jeremy. Um, but like what you listen, I, I'm assuming you listen to podcasts. That's, that's a pretty, yeah, yeah, yep. You know, yeah, I, heard it. I, yep. I, I don't know. Okay. So you did great. Uh, but like what, where did we kind of leave off? Like what's where fill in some gaps for us? Like what's your, what's your thoughts? I'm kind of hijacking now hijacking Zach's interview, but anyway. yeah, well, actually I, um, it was actually funny cause there was, uh, a couple of people that had actually forwarded me the, the podcast, um, you know, on, on the, rare occasion that i didn't actually see it be posted but you know people like oh check this out you know they're like it's it's now a common enough topic that it's being discussed on on this level of podcast so it was cool and i did message zach and say it's cool to like actually hear this being talked about um but one of the things i think um you know in some conversations that i had had with some guys here in australia was like um the you know, you guys were constantly asking, like, you know, why? Like, why would you make this migration? And and there was, like, Jeremy had a great answer. It was, like, for a lot of the churches, you just wouldn't. You just don't need to. Like, mm, and, yeah. and the thing is, and, and what I've always said, and, uh, and I've posted this a lot, and, and, and Zach knows this, and 
is that IP is not a replacement for SDI. It's just a different way to transport video and audio, right? It's not, it is mm -hmm. no, in, in no way a replacement. You guys touched on this as well, that it is just another simply standard. It's another format to use, like, right? It's, or it's another, it's just another technology that enables you to transport from point A to point B. And it's got some, it's got some benefits and it's definitely, it's like, it's got some pros and it's definitely got some cons. Um, the network architecture is, is actually an interesting thing because that's kind of where I started. So I actually, you know, um, if we go back quite a few years ago, I was a touring audio engineer and then I sort of moved from touring audio to broadcast audio. Um, and then I, you know, decided that if you're going to sort of have any kind of life that um, didn't revolve around touring and you wanted to actually, you know, have a home and have kids and all of this sort of stuff, you wanted to, uh, you, you needed a, a, a regular day job. So I was kind of looking around and thinking that, um, and I'm talking, this is like mid 2000, like early, you know, mid 2000s, um, that network engineering was sort of where I wanted to go because I was interested in the technology at the time. Uh, fascinated by how the internet worked and um, figured that the internet wasn't going anywhere. So, you know, a telco or an ISP would be a good place to work, reliable job. And, uh, you know, you could start work at nine and, and leave at five and you're done. But mm -hmm. it wasn't, you know, it wasn't too many years later after I started the sort of self-study courses and I started doing like, I, I got my Cisco, my CCNA at the time. And I think that was like, I want to say, 2000 is in 2006 because I had to renew it in 2013 um, and then go up from there. But so I think this was about 2006, 2007. And uh, not long after that is when I got to, I was, I, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And uh, I got to see Dante before it was even called Dante. Um, it was, um, it was uh, basically a beta software running on the Dolby Lake processor um, that we were using mm -hmm. on an event in Doha and Qatar of all places that were sort of messing around with and testing it um, next to running in parallel with OptiCore. And um, at the time, the one of the developers of the DLP, who's not with us anymore, unfortunately, his name's Bruce Jackson, he's a bit of a hero of mine. He's an Aussie kind of, you know, his claim to fame is like, you know, he makes front of house. He was the front of house guy for like, uh, Elvis, Bruce Springsteen, you know, those kind of acts. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah. He was like, cool. uh, kind of knew that I was kind of sort of, you know, the one of the sort of, you know, the junior networking, well, the, the only networking guy working for this audio production company. Well, one of very few anyway that had any remote clue of what they were doing. And, and, and the thing about networking is the more you, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. It's just this mm. never ending. Mm like landscape just keeps going and going and going so yeah way back then um he basically told me he's like uh you know real-time audio over ip is the future of transport in our industry so if you're going down that path stick to it um it'll be fruitful and uh so i took that advice on board and i kept learning and learning and learning and sure enough it you know paid off so mm -hmm. um and then with my experience in sort of broadcast audio it kind of didn't take much to sort of realize that, you know, video is just signal as well. Um, sure, there's got a little bit more depth to it, a little bit more um, complexity, but uh, that quickly sort of threw me post that into um, transporting video over IP as well. And um, so, yeah, it was a kind of, it was a, a weird almost 10 year gap to get to that stage before we, really got to start playing with the with the technology had matured around sort of 2015 or so and that was when i was um i got to deploy a, a rather large project or got to work on a rather large project where we deployed a lot of multi-site um uh uncompressed uh compressed and uncompressed video over ip um between sites and then a couple of years later again another large project which was for fox sports and that's where we did a lot of like um or for nep rather um which if anyone knows nep it's in a big outside broadcast company um so where they basically have the whole of all the all the major sporting events or all the major sporting 
um, arenas in Australia are all connected by a fibre backbone back to uh, control rooms in Melbourne and Sydney where all football games and all soccer games and everything like that on the weekends are all done remote production. Like that's just how it's done in Australia now. So, and is that was that the the way before COVID, Ricky, or is that just a post COVID and it's stuck that, that was, way? That was pre COVID. Like that was well and truly pre COVID. The, the The reasoning behind that was actually because they were just running out of, they're running out of, um, like, uh, basically just crew. Um, yeah. So they just needed a way to maximize the crew because trying to fly, um, you know, EVS operators, um, mm-hmm. just audio engineer, like you name it, anybody who sits inside a truck on a weekend for a sporting event, like trying to fly them around the country and accommodate them and everything like that, it gets yeah. a that gets expensive, but b you you only they're a single use, right? Mm-hmm. They can only do one game a weekend effectively, so yeah. Um, being able for them to sit in a control room and do a game in Sydney and then a couple of hours later be ready for a game in Perth means you're getting two, three games out of the same crew um, and you're a lot more efficient, which means you can use your, your top tier guys. And, and then that was the other thing is that it wasn't, it wasn't just about saving money. It was about um, the quality of the crew because Australia's not a, Australia's a, a big place when it comes to land. Like we're almost geographically the same size as the United States. Uh, just upside down, but uh, we only have a tenth of the population, so we've got like twenty six or twenty eight million people total, yeah. and most of us live around the coast, yeah. right on the edge. We get we we get cities that size. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like we, our population yeah. is smaller than the population of like New York. So, you know, that's right. So it's um just finding uh, enough skilled people to do that was getting difficult, right? And you'd have to train up train up juniors to be EVS operators. And even then they don't understand the sport that well. So, you know, trying to get the slow-mo replays done without somebody who actually understands what the game is, is, is quite difficult. So anyway, it had a, a whole bunch of reasons why this was good. So, you know, they could use the same crew, do two or three games a day, be way more efficient and then they're saving on a hotel accommodation they're saving on travel saving up the dms and things like that and um and it's not total loss for the the crew you know they're compensated financially for that but um you know it, it's just way more efficient right it's greener it's mm-hmm. just efficient on every level so um that was a huge project and that was basically we were playing with 2110 before it was even a ratified standard so mm. You know, um, we were we were having to do interrupt testing from equipment from all sorts of vendors, uh, and then sort of reporting back, going, "Hey, you know, you're close, but not quite." And it's not it's not the vendor's fault because it wasn't a ratified standard yet; it was yeah. hadn't been accepted. So mm-hmm. it was, um, yeah, it was sort of a whole lot of fun and games back then. But yeah, and that's where we got to today. So the whole network architecture side, going back to that, is like. Uh, it's been an evolving thing, and it's um, yeah, it's fundamentally that's kind of where I came from is is thinking about that architecture. So, lesson number one from this podcast is if you're 20 years old, you better jump into networking now because mm-hmm. it's yep. like being a a 41 year old that I am now, and not I grew up in the dark days of, well, we might be close in age, but I I didn't go the networking path, and so I still it's still one of those like nebulous things that I dive into, but I don't really know, you know, so people should dive into it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's becoming a sort of fundamental thing. And I think I remember um, like during COVID when, if you're an audio engineer and you listen to um, Pooch and Chris Raybold, um, when they did their um, YouTube series, one of the things that they were saying is just like, you know, either study RF engineering, study networking, because, not everybody that comes out and hits the road touring is going to be a front house engineer or a monitor engineer, right? For a big, right. you know, for a yep. big name act, there's just not that many positions available and you have to be seriously talented to get there, but you can hit the road as uh, a systems engineer. And if you've got a, a strong fundamental knowledge on networking, then uh, that's where a lot of system engineers will break down and it'll cause them a ton of stress and, even cause them to lose their jobs mm. on the road because they just they create these problems like you know like a 
common one is like a loop in the network where basically it just takes everything down and you don't understand what on earth is going on. Uh, and yet the doors still mm. need to open, the show needs to still go on, like, or even if it's in a, in a you know, video environment in, or a broadcast environment, um, and you've completely somehow trashed your network and none of your camera CCUs work anymore. Like, so many reasons why having that fundamental knowledge is, is key. And, and the resources are available. You can literally go onto YouTube and type learn networking and there's a ton of free information out there. Yeah, I think that's the thing is like so many people just don't know where to start and dive in. But you're right. Like with YouTube these days, you can you can learn to do a lot yep. on YouTube. Yep, absolutely. But I also feel like you can it's it's almost like but it's you can you can mess up a lot too. Oh yeah. With with little skills, you can get yourself in a world of hurt yep. pretty quick. Yep. So Absolutely. But yeah, well, that's the whole thing of like enough knowledge to be dangerous. Um but right, yeah. Yeah, you're you you're far better off you, within a week of sort of sort of studying some basic networking content. You'll have a far better understanding of of like when you plug that Cat five cable in or that Cat six cable in, like what's actually happening there. And or if you join like a Wi Fi network, like how that actually works, like you know what's happening at the Ethernet layer, what's happening at the IP layer, like so much more. You, there's so much more awareness and and. And I can imagine it's becoming quite uh, like, quite you know, definitely a thing with system integrators, um, because when you look at platforms yeah. like um, QSC, QSIS, and all of those control and audio platforms, like, hundred yep. percent network based. Right. I always tell people like, "Hey, what's your nef- network in- infrastructure like?" Because I think that's what people, church, particularly churches, don't understand. Like. It's got to be way more than you think it has to be. Even even if you're not doing IP video, yep. your network infrastructure, everything rides on it. Yep. I remember a conversation, one of my churches, not at North Point, the one previous, and I was like trying to get all of our consoles, our Yamaha consoles on the network, corporate network, so we could have iPad control. And they're like, well, why would you do that? I'm like, because we need to. Like, And then our, you know, fought with our network guys forever just to get us onto the network so we could be roaming around and doing whatever on our Wi-Fi, uh, on our iPads, but you know, and they were freaking out about the whole. That's thing. another thing too, right? Because for them, they've kind of they've grown up in like this world of IT, and networking is this yeah. necessary evil that they kind of needed to have some knowledge of, and and a lot of I like you know quote unquote like IT guys will have a very basic understanding of networking but they won't have ever, their knowledge won't be very deep right they'll they know what an ip address yeah. is they know what a subnet mask is they know how the two work together and that's about it right they'll know a handful of protocols and that's about it and usually what will happen is uh if you're sort of a big enough environment you'll engage a third party to look after your networking or at least to come and install it configure it and get right. it up and running and then if you've got any fundamental changes you need to make you'll engage that third party to come back and do it again um that's quite common. Like that's very common. That's a good way to go. But um, them, like you know, the IT guys coming from it, like because to them, audio and video is just as foreign as networking is to you guys. So right, they're just as scared the other way. So um, at least if you've got that sort of fundamental knowledge and that fundamental understanding of how it works, you can have a conversation at their level. And 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 yep. basically assure them that it's not a security risk and that it's not going to break the network and that these are the reasons why you want to do it and you know um, it's like uh, I mean Ordinate have released a bunch of white papers basically like you know what um, what IT managers need to know about Dante in order for you to oh, yeah. you know I, yeah. I sent them those links I was like hey I was like we need this on a network and they're like what mm-hmm. yeah. I was like, yes, well, just read these links. They tell you how to do yeah, it. Yeah, and even when it starts talking anyway. about like, you know, the multicast requirements, you know, and IGMP snooping and queries right. and things like that. And then a, a lot of, even a lot of network in it, like network engineers will actually go multicast. Yeah, forget it and walk away. And right. Because uh, that's right. just a whole nother level uh, of knowledge. A lot of them avoid it for, for most of their career um, because it can mm-hmm. be painful if you, if you don't uh, do it properly. But, uh, I mean, this. I mean, these days it's so easy. Like when I first started, it was actually quite difficult, and you had to you had to know the what depending on what hardware you're using, like whether it's Cisco or Rister, 
Mellanox, whatever, you had to know the CLI and you had to know it well. You had to understand the protocols. But I mean, I'm seeing guys now just going and buying like literally the Netgear AV line series and it's mm-hmm. point and click and it just walks you through it and it's so simple and it's like, I'm going to deploy a VLAN for NDI, I'm going to deploy two VLANs for Dante and I'm going to deploy a VLAN for my control. And it just does it, pre-configures the thing for you and it just works. So it's never mm-hmm. been simpler. Well, yeah. So previous, it was like com- command line things like you're like command lining, telling the switch how to function yeah. and you have to know what commands to type and all that yeah, stuff, right? That's why I've, I've, I've avoided it for that mm-hmm. reason. So now that I know that there's a UI for it. Yeah. And I mean, maybe I, I mean, dive in. He, he's <laughs> so good. So right on that. Like even back at Ballantyne, I don't even, I don't know if Andy's even swapped him over yet, but like the Dante network at Ballantyne is, is doing all the control room monitoring and that type of thing. And we literally had it on dummy switches on good dummy switches, but dummy switches just so that, cause none of us had that background and we just wanted it to work. We had a great yeah. IT department and we were on the same team there and we never butted heads. It wasn't that type of thing, but we just knew that it worked. And we, so we just went with it. And I think that that because of what you said, Ricky, of like, you had to have this background to understand how to set up switches and all that. And I, I know a lot of people now are going with the, the Netgear AV line stuff because it is just point and click. And I, I mean, I think, I think it's going to be, I think it's a great thing, but I also think that people are going to miss fundamentals on being able to grow because of how those switches will set themselves yeah. up. Yeah. The difference there is like, and I, I mean, I've known so many people and so many networks where they've literally just kept the Dante and or NDI or whatever separate and they've just run it on dumb switches. And that's a perfectly good way to go. And it's a safe option. Um, but you got to hit scalability problems. Like you're going to run out of growth or, or room to expand. And that's when you're going to have to take that next step. Um mm-hmm. So and that's where these sort of, you know, these Netgear products and um, there's a few other vendors out there. Um, Luminex, for example, is a way to, um, you know, be able to build these networks with a point-and-click GUI and have a little bit of an understanding of what's going on. But at least uh, at, at least if you need to engage like a network engineer to come and look at it, those GUIs are so simple to look at. It's just, you know, they'll understand it in no time. But it's still... Uh, just like you're saying, there's still no reason to not understand the fundamentals and know what's going on. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's you you mentioned scalability. So I know that's one of the things that you know 2110 particularly IP video is is good at. Yep. What What are the things that maybe like let's dive into like some of the like real technical stuff uh, for for a few here. What are some of the things like when you talk about scalability, like what size switch are we talking about? Like what, what I think about is like, I don't even know if we talked about this with Jeremy, but like, why is it off the shelf dumb switch, like a couple of hundred bucks. And then this IP video switch is like 10, 15, $20,000 switch. Uh, yeah, like yeah. what is the difference? You know, like, and then why is the scalability and what, what do you mean by scalability? Those type of things. Let's dive into some of that stuff. All right. Well, let's touch on scalability, I guess, first. Um, because it, it kind of yeah. it'll put it in perspective a little, um, and then and then we'll touch on why like the difference between those switches because I do that I actually get that question an awful lot. Um, so scalability wise, if we look at um, let's base everything on on a hundred gig ports. Um, so you can buy a pizza box switch or you know a one rack unit switch. That is 32 ports of 100 gig. You might be able to get 36 ports of 100 gig. Um, and you want to run your standard 3G SDI signals over that, right? So you encapsulate them onto IP, whether it's 2110, 2022-6, doesn't really matter. Either way, they're going to be about, um, you know, um, 19, 20, like 1080p, 60 is going to be around 3 gig, right? So even if we sort of gave ourselves a bit of headroom, so, 90, you know, 96 divided by 3, that's... 32 signals uh, on a 100 gig interface. Uh, we times that by 32, and that's 1,024, right? Now, a 100 gig port is bidirectional, right? It's got receive and transmit. If we compare that to an SDI router, we now need a, an SDI router that's 1,024 like spigots in and 1,024 spigots out, right? So or 1,024 BNCs in and 1,024 BNCs out. 
And I mean, your standard for a start trying to find, uh, like, does Ross make a router that big yet? Or, uh, not yet. Not yet. Yeah. So let's look at a Evo TQX or something like that. Um, like how, like Zach, how many rack units in? The one at Ballantyne was was sixteen rack units, and that was that gave you two eighty eight by two eighty eight. So that's two eighty eight by two eighty eight. Yeah. So to get a thousand and twenty four out uh-huh. of that, you're gonna fill a couple four, racks. Yeah, exactly. Or fill at least a forty IU cabinet or something, yeah. right? Um, to get that kind of density. Whereas if we were, let's say, we're native IP, best case scenario, you could do a thousand twenty four by thousand twenty four in one rack unit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we just condensed yeah. what? But that's not that's not a thousand by twenty. This is what I, I want to make sure people understand and make sure I understand, but that's not a thousand twenty-four cables. No, that's right. Right. That's yeah, right. in a in a baseband world it would be. You'd have a thousand and twenty-four in right. and a thousand twenty-four out. Yeah. Um, and that would end up filling an entire rack, if not two. Um, whereas right. if we switch to an IP native world, um, and we're still we're still uncompressed, we're whether it's dash six or it's 2110 it's 32 cables yeah so what we're going to do is we're going to put 32 signals per port yeah right which we 32 signals times three gig each that's 96 that 96 fits in a 100 gig interface you do you never want to push it all the way to 100 gig you want to leave yourself a little bit of overhead um because you can get a little bit of signal degradation on the, on the optical layer, which could, you know, chew up a little bit of bandwidth, whatever the reason. You just leave yourself a little bit of breathing space. But 32 is a nice round number anyway, right? So, yep. Yep. yeah, so 32 by 32 makes 1024. So you're putting 32 signals on a single piece of, well, let's call it a single cable, even though it's it might, it's probably right. optical. Um Depending on what you're doing downstream, whether you're plugging it into some, you know, video like playout servers, or you're plugging it into your switcher, or you're plugging it into whatever, but quite often you won't get that kind of like that. That is a best case scenario when we're talking about density and scalability. Okay, won't always be the case because you might have your your camera might be a hundred gig straight off the back of the CCU. Most of them will be like twenty five gig, for example, um, because you can do again break it down to the same way. Um, even if you're running in 4K, uh, 4K will be 12 gig, right? So it's still it's 12G. It's when when you see 12G, it's still the same. So even if we go 32, so if you break because with a 100 gig interface, you can break it out into four lanes of 25. So if you go four lanes of 25, you can effectively have uh, four lots of CCUs connected to that 100 gig port, and that can deliver you. Um, you know, a UHD signal on each or two UHD signals on each or a bunch of three gigs back and forth. So everyone's installation is going to be different and everyone's um, density requirements are going to be different, but it just goes to show the scalability of moving to IP and what you can achieve. So um, when you're just trunking things from one location to another or you're um, like what we do with our backbone or... um, you got a lot of like video playout servers and they're like 10 gig ports, for example. So we got like, you know, video playout servers. They will aggregate down to, uh, we use like in this situation, we use Cisco switches when they um, 48 port uh, 10 with, you know, 48 10 gig interfaces with 600 gig interfaces. And we use those to aggregate 32 streams down to, a, you know, a pair of 100 gig ports. And we, we when we talk pairs, because, uh, you know, Two is one and one is none. We're always talking in redundancy. So, or we're always talking about how to add resiliency. So, you know, why use one when you can use two? So, yeah. So, we only need one 100 gig port to stay operational. But just in case that optical link fails, we have a second optical link. And I mean, I think Jeremy touched on the fact that we have, um, we build completely independent networks. So, we have like a red and a blue network. That's, that's effect. That's what's called, um, 2022-7 that's a standard for that for building two completely isolated networks that are identical um but even even uh dash seven aside we will still use a pair of 100 gig interfaces over just using just one if we can um especially if we're running like 32 linear tv channels over that one piece of glass or one piece of fiber 
you know, you want you want some backup there, even though you've got the, the whole blue network backing up your red network, or it's not really there's a re- misconception. It's not really a backup or a standby network because both of them run in parallel at the same time. And it's up to the receiver to work out which packet or which which interface is going to take its packets from. But because you could unplug one mm-hmm. cable and in theory never see a change, right? That's right. Yeah. And then you can yeah. plug that one back because, in when a link comes because up. Because it's all in time. That's it. Yep. Thanks to PTP. Yeah. Yeah. It's all yeah. So the um the the header in or the RTP header in the packet is time stamped using UTC time and it's time stamped in reference to PTP, which should be synchronized to GPS. So everything is timestamped. So when it gets to the other side, and not only that, there's also a sequence number in the packet as well, or a sequence number in the RTP header. So, um, you know, you'll have uh, a device start and, and, you know, it'll be sequence one, two, three, four, and it just keeps counting up and it just keeps going and going and going. But as long as those packets are arriving in order, you know, when it gets to, when it gets the sequence or packet number to like 723, it doesn't matter. If it comes from the red network or the blue network, it's first come, first serve. Whoever shows up first, that's all it cares about. Um, so yeah, that's how you can you can make it. You know, so you can just pull a link and you won't know. Yeah. How do you? So okay, you mentioned coming out of the back of the camera at like twenty five gigs or hundred mm-hmm. gigs, right? The CCU. Do do you combine? How do you end up combining that? Let's take twenty five gigs. Does that 25 gig strand essentially, because that's a cable, right? That comes out yep. of that thing. How do we combine that to we, or are we just wasting a bunch of bandwidth when it goes into a hundred gig? So port? no, when it goes in, okay. So a hundred gig port, um, electrically a hundred gig is actually four twenty five gig lanes coupled together. Okay. Um, so okay. if you, you're, if you're using a, a, Q, a QSFP, um, and it's, a presents as a, the connector is called an MPO on the back. That will be four discrete lanes that you can break out, or you can get a um, if you're using AOC cables oh, okay. or DAC cables, as they call it, like depending if you're using optical or copper, you can get a hundred gig uh, um, connector QSFP that will break out to four by twenty five gig, what they call SFP twenty eights. Ah. In my mind, I'm like, oh, they, there's there's some way we're combining all no, this. So, so that's that's what as far it is. as the, it's, yeah. it's, it's, as far as the switch is concerned, you yeah. can look at a logical interface, and it'll be called let's call it Ethernet one. But when you break it out into basically what they call or channelized mode or four by twenty five mode, whatever they want to call it, it'll be Ethernet one slash one, Ethernet one slash mm-hmm. two, Ethernet one slash three, and they'll they'll become discrete logical interfaces. As far as the switch is Got concerned, it. so you're, so for example, if you take that 32 port switch we're talking about, and you broke every uh, every 100 gig, or all the 100 gig interfaces down to to 25 gig interfaces, you now have a 128 port switch. Yeah. Even though it's only got 32 physical ports on it. Hmm. Right, right, right. And you can do any combination. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So I can see why people are like, okay, this is. I, for some reason that I never connected the dots with that. So scalability, that makes a lot more sense. It's like you got one little piece of hardware compared to yeah. two rack, almost two racks full of hardware. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So like how are all, cause you keep talking about hundred gig ports. How are all of the switches connected to make one big giant network? Is there like a, a master switch somewhere that's got all the other switches feeding back into it? Yeah. And it's got yep. this ginormous capacity on it. Yep. So, um, sort of what you're describing there is is what we'd call a um, leaf and spine network, or spine and leaf network, or a, um, quite a, quite a few years ago, it would have been described uh, described as a cloth fabric because it was um sort of invented way back in the early sort of telco days, uh, um, as a way to sort of you know because if you think about um telephone exchanges around a country, and how they would interlink with each other in order to like you know switch those voice calls through they need to develop some sort of fabric that allowed that to happen so they created this hierarchical model um and that that was brought forward into the more sort of modern networking approach and these are all sort of data center concepts and this is um uh and this is again for like if you're talking like building a data center the size of like google or facebook or things like that these are the challenges that those companies have right because they need to build networks that are of that size as well pushing just as much data. So um, 
And these are why um, when we talk about the, the cost of the switch and why it's worth so much money is because we're actually getting to those. When we start building these networks, we start to use data center class, which is um, which you don't have an option. They can't fail, right? So they've all got yeah. very expensive right. power suppliers. They're all built, manufactured and built incredibly well using, you know, um, really expensive components. Um, they run rock solid operating systems well. We'll put an asterisk on the end of that one. But <laughs> depending on the vendor, um, you know, they need to be rock solid, right? They need to work. They need to be reliable. Otherwise, these these you know, what we call web scalers or cloud scalers won't actually use them in their data center. So, um, but yeah, what we have is this, um, you can, anyone can Google this, just look up like spine and leaf architecture or spine and leaf model, where you effectively have a layer of switches at the top and then you have a layer of switches underneath. And when I was talking about, um, and, and now, so it's a whole lot easier these days because we have 400 gig ports as well. And we keep, we you know, we keep increasing wow, and just moving keeps up. Getting bigger. Just keeps yeah. getting bigger. Yep. Yeah. Um, because I still don't know what the, the limitation of fiber is, right? It's like you can mm -hmm. keep jamming more more wavelengths down there and start using technologies like QAM and things like that to to get just more bits down those optical links. So um yeah, you can you can put you know 1.6 terabits down a single strand of fiber. There's no reason why you can't. Um, it's mm -hmm. absolutely doable, and that's what they do on submarine cables between countries, right? They want to get the most value out of that. So, and then you, what? That's what your telcos do between, you know, between capital cities. Um, mm -hmm. The fiber is expensive to lay in the first place, and they don't want to have to go and lay more fiber. So they just keep introducing more technology that allows them to add more bandwidth to the existing fiber. Yeah. So yeah, you might um, have a case where you have like. You know, um, you might have four spine switches and each of your leaf switches, is that's where your, your, for example, your cameras and your switches and things would plug into. Um, you might use 24 of those 32 ports and then the last eight ports will be uplinked to your spine switches mm. on each of those. Um, and then that's how you scale your network out. So if you just want to keep growing, you just keep adding spines and then effectively when you get to a point where you, you're running out of, capacity there you start adding what they call super spines which is a third layer above that um wow. but what a lot of vendors well sorry a lot of broadcasters will start off with is just this giant monolithic approach they'll literally just go and buy a 16 slot chassis and start filling it with cards and then when they um when they start to realize that they're going to start running out of capacity then they'll go and add a spine tier above you know their 16 slot chassis and those switches are in the hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah, wow, it's unbelievable. Yep. So, it is is this where the concept of blocking and non-blocking? Yep. Uh, comes in absolutely. Yeah. It's like okay, you got eight port, eight ports that connected up to this top layer, but you have twenty five devices connected, right? So, like, how you got to make sure you have enough room in those eight ports to get all twenty five? Exactly. Yep, that's exactly it's it. Simultaneously, right? Yeah, okay. no, no, definitely, that's a real thing. So you can build a build a, a blocking or non-blocking fabric. So a blocking fabric is you might have Let's say you have, uh, let's use our 32 port switch example again. You'll have, you know, 24 ports dedicated down to your your host uh, or your endpoints. So whether it's cameras, switches, whatever. Um, and they, you've got 2,400 gig ports in use, right? So, right. But then you've only got 800 gig ports up to your spine. So that is a blocking fabric. Which means not every end device can get simultaneously. Because you don't have enough, you don't have enough bandwidth. Exactly. So from leaf switch A to leaf switch B, you can't get every signal across your back, you know, your backbone, which is your spine, um, across right. to the other switch. So in some designs, that's fine, right? Because you might have, like, for example, you might have Studio A is contained on leaf switch A, and you might have Studio B is on leaf switch B, and then you just have a few things you need to to cross connect, and then you might have the control room is on leaf switch C. And they all uplink to a spine, but the control room can only handle one studio at a time. So you, the control room is never taking signals from both studios at the same time. So that's that might not be an issue. Got it. Um, many reasons why you would do that. Um, otherwise, you just build a non-blocking fabric, um, which again is you got to think about. If we go and use our um, again our thirty-two port switch as an example, 
there's kind of no point, hey, you know, giving 16 ports to the end devices and then using 16 ports to uplink to your switch because all you've done is you've just basically used your switches just to become a glorified coupler, right? But what you might have is a situation where um, you need to break those 16 ports out into 25 gig or 10 gig or 25 gig lanes, but there's no point going and burning those that quantity of ports on a on a bigger switch upstream because it's too expensive. So you might use a small switch downstream to to aggregate all of those signals in, like what I was talk, talking about with our um, playout right. servers before. We've got 32 playout servers that link into a 48-port switch with six 100-gig ports on the end, of which two of them uplink to the, you know, um, to the fabric. So, yeah, using them as an aggregator is definitely a way to um that's the more common approach and you can build a non-blocking fabric that way so you know you could talk for hours on scenarios and examples that make it work but right that's the gist of it is non-blocking means that the amount of bandwidth you have to your edge devices can be transported across your fabric to another you know another edge and not be restricted along the way you, you don't have any congestion issues yep yeah you can get access to anything at any time, yep. anywhere. Exactly. Now that's a very expensive way to build it, and a lot of companies don't need that, right. so they won't they won't bother going for that. Some do, like I've seen. I've, there's networks here in Australia that they're building non-blocking fabrics because that's just what they need. Um, and then there's other broadcasters where they've built blocking fabrics because they don't really need. You know, you don't need, for example, if you've got a lease switch that's just got a bunch of audio devices hanging off it. You don't need hundreds of gigabits of availability to that switch, right? Because you're you're plugging right. in a bunch of audio devices, which at the worst case scenario is like a sixty, you know, uh, let's call it like an uncompressed stereo signal is at forty eight k is like what twelve meg. So you know, it's like you're in the hundreds of megabits, yeah. not gigabits. So uh-huh. you know, you I I laughed a little yeah, bit funny. because I keep forgetting about like a, a, a yeah a stereo pair is megs compared to gigs of a video signal you know anyway yeah that's yeah audio is way easier to transport than video like way easier you know you can build (laughs) you can build a massive audio fabric on a gigabit network Mm -hmm. um or or even a a 10 you know 10 gigabits way more common these days for large audio fabrics but you can literally take uh, what effectively could be tens of hundreds of audio devices and have a couple of 10 gig uplinks to your fabric, whereas like, you know, the next switch and the next rack along has got all the CCUs plugged into it and it's got a couple of hundred gig links. Yeah, uplink. So yeah. Yeah. Man, that's been a well, lot. Well, let's uh let's end on something uh cool. Ricky, what's the coolest thing that you're working on right now that you can talk about on a podcast on record? Um uh, funny one is probably I um got kind of more or less like put my hand up to work on a a project which is kind of using a lot of like i guess you call it a lot of data technology like you know dvb and and satellite delivery sort of stuff or what they call you know dth direct to home um but i was kind of fascinated by the satellite side of it so um sort of just being a nerd i just well, i sort of got interested in it and, and took it on and then more or less got tasked with designing and building the whole ip fabric that that new platform has to ride on top of um so i'd say that's been probably one of the coolest things i've worked on um and i've been uh before that i was involved in a project where i got to play with well got to sort of deploy and play with um uh the brand new uh, everts netx um so our our backbone our fabric is not a um is not an exe it's the netx um so using the netx blades in a chassis that's that's pretty cool. And, that, and what that is, is that using NAT at the edge, and for people that don't know what NAT is, it's network address translation. So it means it's like you're changing, you change the IP address on the way through. So you might have a multicast source that is 232.1.1.1. But by the time it gets out of your network, it's now 232.2.2.2, right? It's a, it's a whole new address. That was a whole new destination address. And the point of that is you get rid of endpoint control. So you don't need NMOS, you don't need... Um, BSM, mm. you don't need anything else on the end to control it because there's a static link between 
your network fabric and your end device. And the end device is always expecting the signal to come in on the same IP address, no matter what. And your network is translating it to that IP address for that end device on the way through. Um, and that's that's been a real game changer for us. Yeah. Is that a popular technology? Because I, I don't... I haven't heard of that before. Not really. Um, I mean, kind of manually done that a few times with like Arista and Cisco in the past um, for certain applications, but no. Um, however, sort of uh, Everts have been doing it for a long time. Um, we're utilizing that um, since the old, older EXE days. And now they actually have a dedicated blade for it called the NatX, which it's that's his full-time job. It's effectively... Yeah. You know, two two nats with a um with a IPX in the middle, and you just build your fabric out of that, and it's it's um it's honestly it's pretty cool. Got it. Well, Bagwell, I feel like me and you both been doing video for a long time, but my mind is once again blown and very full yeah, yeah. and overwhelmed. Well, I I learned some some phrases and stuff that I might have to Google later yeah, for sure because I I have opened the door of this network stuff that i've mm-hmm. got to figure out i mean so. i think the future is definitely ip you know might yeah. not be yeah what do you think there's no escape ricky it. what do you think 10 10 years from now this is a common language you think um no 20 years i don't what? think so because i think like um even i even ip itself has these same struggles right um in in evolving the technology right so at the moment uh, everybody will be familiar with your your same 32-bit ip address right um 192.168.1.1 for your yeah. home router or whatever um people have probably heard the phrase ipv6 um you know it's kind of the next evolution of ip it's a 128-bit address um but most of the world is trying to ignore it uh because they don't want to make the change, right? Because the, the two can run right. t- together in parallel, but they don't talk to each other. And the reason is, is because mm-hmm. publicly, globally, we have run out of IPv4 addresses, right? There are just, there, yeah. there's barely any left around I the mean, world. And they're selling right. for about $50 an address, and the smallest block you can buy is 256 addresses. So, um, yeah, people, are, companies right. are selling off uh, unused address space and making millions out of them. Um, there's a solution out there for that. It's called IPv6, but it's very the adoption has been so slow. And and to be honest, for transporting video and audio, um, Ethernet is a really bad standard. Like for that, it was never a good idea, but it was the only one that was available. And it's like it's like going back to like VHS versus Betamax, right? One of them was a better, a far superior technology, and yeah. the the other one won because of reasons, yeah. right? Or, um, you know, um, Blu-ray versus HD, DVD or whatever, you know. The the more right. consumer-friendly technology one, even though it wasn't the better technology. Um, there used to be alternates to uh, Ethernet, and there still are. Um, and and when, when we say Ethernet, like Ethernet and IP are two different layers of, of the OSI model. So when when you guys and everyone's listening goes out there and actually starts learning uh, networking, they'll understand the difference between like Ethernet and IP and how one sits on top of the other, right? Or one's encapsulated inside mm-hmm. of the other. And it's the same as like the, the video is encapsulated in RTP, which is encapsulated inside IP, which is encapsulated in, inside Ethernet, which is then put on the wire and transmitted, right? So yeah, once you mm-hmm. learn how that stack works and how easy the components can be swapped out and... Um, there's other, like for transporting real time, uncompressed media, there's so many better technologies out there, like TDM, like based technologies that can do it far more reliably, but they're expensive. They're not as common and ethernet is here and available. And so uh, ethernet and IP are here and available now. So that's why they're being leveraged. Um, so yeah, not the best way to do it, but it's, 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 it's available and it's there and it's becoming more cost effective to do. And, and in saying that, what I'm, my point is, is that SDI is not going anywhere. It'll be around for mm. a long time. So for the next 10 to 20 years, you'll still be using SDI, right? Hopefully we, hopefully SD is just irrelevant and doesn't exist anymore. 
hopefully we're phasing yeah. out HD by then. And because, I mean, we're already at like, you know, 4K is common for TV now. And we're, I was like working on a project in 2018, 2019, where we're all transporting 8K uncompressed over IP, which is 48 gigabits per second for one yeah, picture. That's dumb. And it's that was, dumb. In, I had to yeah. go, yeah, they were sending me to a project I was working on was in Japan. So I was going to Tokyo for, to work with NHK who's like their national broadcaster because they wanted to do the 2020 Olympics in 8K or certain events in 8K anyway. So they were gearing right. up to do 8K, but I mean, NHK are crazy. They were doing HD before the rest, way before the rest of the world. Mm. You know, we were like the rest of the world was still in, we were still on power on NTSC when they were doing HD. So, yeah. So it's not going anywhere, um, but it will become more common way more common and and if it's not for transporting video it'll be for control mm. right so your switcher will plug into its frame via ip and ethernet um your ccus will plug in via ethernet they'll talk ip you know you just need to have that fundamental understanding yeah yep yep that's awesome hey if uh people want to follow what you're doing not necessarily blow up your your dms but follow you you on instagram or anything yeah yep. it's just uh at ricky cook uh r-i-c-k-i-c-w-k and um it's actually pretty good i've got way more time these days so i actually um be more responsive but yeah i'll definitely um uh answer people's dms on instagram it's cool that's cool it's that's definitely awesome. a lot of four by four of it uh posts these days but i love it yeah it's less so there's nice, less man. gear and and definitely more off-roading and camping and stuff um oh i've i, I have missed that I've got to check that yeah, out. Yeah. So back in, yeah, so I've got a 70 series Land Cruiser, Land, uh, Land Cruiser 76. Oh, in, okay. Uh, okay. In, when was it? Like April last year. So 2021. Yeah. That's great. I'm a, I'm going to look you up on Instagram right now because somehow I don't see your feed. So I must not follow you, but yeah, I'm a good old country boy and I like, I like, Good old four by fours and yeah, camping. our trucks aren't as uh, uh well. We're actually getting they're becoming way more common here. Like, if I walk outside, I'll see a ram every five minutes. Whereas like a couple of years ago, that wasn't the case mm. at all. Um, mm. And now we've got the Chevy, like the Silverados and things like that. They actually have to import them from the US and then physically convert them and put the steering wheel on the other side. No, yeah. no way. Yeah, they fully they strip That's them wild. back. Like they don't. You know, um, Dodge or, or Chevy, they don't build them that way, so they've got to import them. So they are so yeah. expensive over here; it's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, so we, right. so the like obviously Japanese or um, Japanese four by fours are still way more common. Although you can buy Jeeps everywhere, um, right. you know, right. but there's definitely not. We don't have Jeeps are nowhere near as popular as they are in the US. That's for sure. But you can definitely they're still yeah. available here. But yeah, we're big time on our diesels. So. It's great. Well, I've I've appreciated it. Yeah, this has been awesome. I think people are I think yeah. people are going to eat this one up. Yep. So thanks for your time, Ricky. That's all right. Hopefully, we didn't just get like go down rabbit holes too much. No, no I don't think so. It's great. Yeah, Ricky. We'll talk to you soon, man. If you've seen or heard anything from MXU, you've probably gathered that we care deeply about helping you create healthy teams. We know that you have a lot on your shoulders, but you don't have to bear it all alone. MXU can come alongside you to help you recruit volunteers and bring them on board in a healthy way. With our platforms, you gain back valuable ministry time as we take over the bulk of training from entry level to advanced concepts in audio, video, and lighting. Keeping your team healthy should be a priority at any church, and a healthier team means a healthier you. Start building a healthy team at getmxu.com.